Alright, so first spring sprung, and now spring is spring. I, I don't know if that's technically correct, but what I do know is correct is that Florida State has concluded spring football practice. With the Knowles 24-7 podcast, this is Brendan Sinone. Joining me today, Chris Nee, and we're here to basically recap, well, not just Saturday's Garnet and Gold game, but the entirety of spring practice. We want to go over storylines that we had told you guys that we were focusing on at the start of spring, uh, and now that we have a better idea of of one, what things look like, and see them in the full context of an actual spring game or, or basically a glorified scrimmage, but also getting to hear from players, from coaches, talking to sources, people who were there every day, uh, what we took away from the spring. I guess the questions that were answered, the ones that remain unanswered, and will kind of loom into the offseason. That, that's what we're focusing on today. That's going to be the entirety of this podcast. Uh, in the next day or two, we'll also have a recap of all the recruiting updates and, and information there. Yeah, Josh Newberg and Zach Blostein were helping Chris and, and actually covering a lot of the recruiting while Chris was covering the game uh, throughout this past weekend. And it was a really big weekend for recruiting. There were a ton of, of visitors on campus and, and fairly productive, but we want to recap that. We want to also spend a good amount of time on it too. Probably not enough time for one full podcast. So be on the lookout for that. For now, check our cover, recruiting coverage on Knowles247.com. Uh, but this right here, this podcast, exclusively spring football recap. So without any further ado, well, no, wait, a little bit more further ado, uh, just real quick, guys, please remember to give us a five-star review and subscribe on iTunes. If you have a minute or two, just pull it up on your phone. I know we beg for it every single week. I know Chris rolls his eyes whenever I ask for it, but it does legitimately help our little quirky podcast grow in popularity and become a little less little, uh, a little bit bigger, but, but still equally quirky. So anyways, enough for me for now. Chris, give us a, uh, if you can, a quick recap of, of one, the spring game, and then two, uh, just a general overarching idea of, of your biggest takeaway about Florida State as a football program exiting spring practice and now heading into the summer. Well, the spring game was a normal spring game. It's, at the end of the day, a glorified practice. Gold walked away with the victory 27-21 over Garnett. Gold was led Go, by... Garnett. I'm, I'm waking up still here, okay? <laughs> it's 9 a.m. on a Monday morning. I'm not good at mornings. Garnet, 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 darn it, as Bobby used to say. Uh, but gold was led by James Blackman, 23 for 37 for 415 and 330 a year. Keyshawn Helton and Tamori and Terry both had very good days receiving. For the other squad, Jordan yeah, Travis. Helton, Helton had eight, eight catches on eight targets. Yeah, how about well, that for buck, efficiency? Buck 50, right? It yeah, get much better 157. He did not find the end zone, but he he ended up getting stopped at what, the two? Yeah, right before, and then there was a penalty on yeah, Terry, on Terry which for was 15 a questionable yards. call, but anyways... For uh, Garnet, Jordan Travis, 22 for 28, 241. DJ Matthews was his favorite target with 10 catches for 122. The rushing attack for neither team ever really got go- going, but it was good to see Laybourne out there. He ended up having 12 carries on the day, rushed for 55. He led all rushers. He did have a hip cramp, which was not an enjoyable moment when it happened because you weren't immediately sure what happened. It was relatively non-contact when it happened. So with a guy like that, it was somewhat of a concern to see. Everyone gasped. Um, <gasps> from a kicking and punting standpoint, no Ricky Aguayo, so no nothing really to talk about. What was there. the explanation there, Chris? Uh, I forget the exact terminology given to us, but essentially precautionary. Okay. Um, and, you know, Coach Taggart didn't speak on it. His press conference had to end before we were able to get the question in, but we got clarification through the FSU staff mm-hmm. via an FSU spokesperson regarding that situation. And then, you know, truthfully, the biggest takeaway for me, I have no clue what the heck to make of the defense. Okay. I thought the interior defensive line was good. I have no clue if they actually have a good pass rush, and I thought the physicality of the defense wasn't very good. 
But I think that was somewhat by design on the day. I think it was a very vanilla approach from the defense. And I think it certainly wasn't about trying to hurt the guy across from you. It, it seemed like that FSU could only run certain plays on defense on first and second down. And they were only allowed to blitz like on third down. It was kind of like senior bowl rules in that sense. And, and I think FSU's offensive staff exploited that to an extent too. Uh, where they were attacking the middle of the defense or going perimeter. They basically knew where they could attack. Uh, and I think that was the, a theme this entire spring, Chris, has been gassing up the offense and trying to instill confidence in a unit that really needs it, so it's sensible. I don't think either of us have an issue with, with that approach, but it does make it hard to to fully judge uh, the defense and just both sides in general. That is the thing about the spring, and, and we try to talk about it on the podcast frequently, is when someone does something well, someone else is doing something bad on the same team, typically. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't want to get too much into gleaning of whole like units and groups from the actual spring game, but we can talk about the entire spring itself. Uh, but, but real quick, do you feel better, worse, TBD, the same, whatever, about the program exiting the spring as you did going into it a month and a half ago? If you can take your, your stuff back to that that point in time i'm trying to keep a low level of expectations mm-hmm. just by design based Even off what we time. saw last season i feel better about what i saw and the reasons for that is i feel like quarterback two is a little more capable than i expected like i said on our last pod i didn't expect anything from the reserve quarterbacks i thought jordan was good on the day i don't want to turn him into a heisman candidate like the internet was trying to do instantaneously when he completed a few passes but he was good he hit a lot of guys. He was quick. He was decisive. The arm strength is good. I wouldn't go anywhere near the realm of great with him. Someone on our message board said he was slinging yeah, rockets. Yeah, they, they <laughs> weren't quite rockets. Is, there there are certain NFL quality throws I'm not sure he is capable of making. Right. and I, well, uh, But within the offensive system, there's a lot of throws he can make, and he showed that on Saturday, which is a positive. Um, the rushing attack, I still don't know if it's there. The O-line, I'm not ready to crown them as improving. I think they are a little more cohesive. And obviously, Saturday is tough to judge because you don't really have first team, second team, third team. You have kind of mixed and jumbled units. But they still have tackle issues. There's no doubt there that there's still issues on the edge. Um, the interior is okay. I liked what I saw from Dante Lucas. Mm-hmm. I think Dante's going to be able to do a little bit more year one than I've given him the uh, expectation of being able to do so. I think conditioning-wise, he's capable of handling a heavier workload, which has been one of my consistent questions with him. So I think he's a guy that certainly adds depth on the interior, if not potential starting ability. Mm -hmm. And again, defensively, I don't know where the pass rusher is coming from, so that's a concern, but that's a concern I had going into the spring, so that's not something new. I thought the linebackers looked slightly better. I really liked what I saw from Jaleel McCray. I thought the secondary left a lot of plays out there to be made. Yeah. There were tip balls, overthrown balls. There were, there were moments they could have made plays, turned in big highlights, and they just kind of dropped in, you know, fumbled it away. And Willie Taggart said that after the game as well, and I, I think that's the case. You know, throughout the spring, we've heard that the defense has had the upper hand pretty common first spring. Which is common, yeah. The second scrimmage, which was a week ago Saturday, defense kind of owned the, owned the day. So I'm not, you know, thinking the defense that we saw on Saturday is exactly what they are. So I keep getting all these texts from different people about the Orlando Magic winning the division yesterday. Is uh... I thought we didn't talk basketball on this podcast. You're you're the king of hating on basketball. basketball Even though we are both yay. Magic Magic Even fans we here. Are. Yeah, I was wearing Magic socks uh, during the spring game. Um, that means two nulls in the NBA playoffs, and there's capability of being three if Dwayne Bacon and the Hornets sneak in. Trying to hijack us into FSU basketball. I'm just trying to gas up our hoops. <laughs> um, so we'll start. 
as we now go into the nitty gritty here, and I think what, what Chris said, and I'll just echo it real quick, is there's some reason for optimism in a couple areas. There's still gonna be a lot of questions that we have left unanswered going into the summer. I think I wrote about it the other day. It's going to be a long summer, uh, very tepid. I think what we saw from the, the crowd on Saturday, they said 27,000. It wasn't 27,000. Uh, it wasn't a terrible crowd, but it wasn't a good one, especially when you compare it to what it was a year ago. And I knew there was going to be a drop-off. Did you enjoy the crowd analysis on your Twitter when you posted pictures of the crowd of, yeah. well, you're taking one side of the stadium, not both sides. Was, and you're, you're a, taking it from a certain angle. If you take it from this certain angle, it looks really crowded. Did you enjoy that? It was, like, it was like Zapruder film yeah. on your Twitter. It was very fun. Uh, I enjoyed it. was a it. panoramic shot. So it was I'm glad you dived like, into that pool while I just hung out on the side catching rays. Uh, it had to be done. Um... But anyways, uh, so I do think I want to be focused on what we learned, and, and I do think there were some legitimate reasons for optimism. And, and number one for me, and as we start going, as we typically do from quarterback all the way to defensive back, let's start generally with the offense, Chris. It looked more functional. Uh, I don't want to say more uh, – I don't want to say a lot better, but the floor was raised. I agree. I don't, I don't think they had a pre-snap penalty on both sides. They were consistently getting snaps off at about 25 seconds left on the play clock. I think only once or twice it went down to like less than 10 seconds. From Especially in the, the first clock. half. Correct. Tempo was excellent in the first half. Second half with the running clock, it yeah, kind of faltered a bit. But throw that away. There's those first 100 plays of the game, yeah. I agree. Uh, guys were lining up correctly. I thought Kendall Bryles, he was calling plays for, I forget which team it was, but it was it was Jordan Travis's team. That's um, Garnet. What? Garnet. 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 <laughs> Oh, so now Kevin Garnett. <laughs> Back to basketball. Uh, he was really clever and where he, 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 it was encouraging to see a coach call plays that were designed for his quarterback specifically. He knew Travis's weaknesses. He knew his strengths. He went away from Big Marv and Corey Durden inside with, uh, I think, the backup interior line. Uh, he was smart in how he attacked, but I, I thought it just looked more functional and that's what we had heard from since the beginning of the spring, but but really didn't have a chance to actually see it. So that's like if you're looking at, okay, the questions that we had going into the game, that's a box check. So the offense looked more cohesive. It looked like it had some semblance of an identity. They were attacking areas that there were weaknesses or where they saw weaknesses. They were trying to exploit things. It just it, it made sense, and I think that's encouraging. I don't know what that's going to equal to in points in the regular season, Chris, but I think you're going to see a lot less just cluster Fs of, of performances. I think that's maybe the, the encouraging part. Yeah, I thought perimeter blocking was slightly improved. With sure. rushing attack, there were holes. There were opportunities for there to be more yards for the rushing attack I'll, I'll tweet at out times. Later. I, I got Not like, all the time, but at times. Of, of actual the run game. Yeah. And you could see like there's like a, a, a surge. It yeah. didn't happen a lot, but but it happened. And I don't remember that happening much last the, year. The thing for FSU with rushing attack, and this was true last year, and I think it will be true this year, when there's an opportunity, it has to be capitalized upon. Sure. And on Saturday, I don't think they did a great job of that. I think LeBorn showed the best vision on the day. I thought Cam had kind of a mixed bag day. He had the 11-yard run. That was real nice. You know, he had a couple touchdown runs, showed some power on a couple runs. But he also had a couple runs where he got it and there was somebody in his face and it seemed like he was unable to create anything out of it. And I know that's unfair to him because he's supposed to have blocking up front. But we have to live in the reality of the situation, which is at times blocking up front is going to falter for this team. Yeah. Um, the other thing I took away is that the offensive line and the offense, what they're trying to do, they are clearly cohesive. Correct. The the relationship of Browse and Clemens clearly pays off with the understanding of the offense for the offensive line. And that was something last year that I think there was a lot of frustration 
especially among the offensive line group of not always understanding what the heck was being called, what they were supposed to do, how they were supposed to do it. Not saying they did it. There were times they faltered. There there were some major issues with the offensive tackle still. But they knew what they were supposed to do, and at least on the snap, it looked like they were – I guess the thing I'm trying to say is that the execution necessarily wasn't there, but the understanding of what they were trying to execute was there, and that's a positive. I I agree. I think that's maybe – and it's the hardest thing to actually quantify, but if you're trying to remember what it looked like last year, I think that's the biggest takeaway from the spring game of anything else is that that cohesiveness, that – understanding of, of what you're trying to accomplish from play to play, it was a lot more consistent. Didn't feel clunky. Correct. It, it, there, there was a rhyme and reason to things, and it was evident. Again, how does that manifest itself in the points and production in the regular season? We're, I think, a long way from being able to answer that with, with any sort of confidence. But What, what was your main takeaway with quarterbacks? What, yeah. what, what impressed you about future Heisman winner Jordan Travis? And what I also impress you with likely starter James Blackman. All right. With Jordan Travis, I think we need to start from the beginning, or at least our beginning with him, which was... The wind beating his ass in practice? In the first, the first day of spring, it was a cold, chilly, windy morning. And his passes, and we got to see the entire, the entire practice was open to, to the public. Uh, consistently, his passes downfield would just get caught in the wind. Uh, James Blackman's weren't. Uh, Nolan McDonald's weren't. It was exclusively a Jordan Travis issue. Uh, and then there were other things like not knowing where to go with the football, but that was more understanding. Coach Taggart, uh, w- Willie talked about that later, saying that he thought that Jordan had a little bit of nerves, uh, was a little amped up, wasn't confident in knowing where he was supposed to go, and it said that he looked better throughout the spring. Uh, you know, we had heard that the scrimmage was really, really rough for the backup quarterbacks, uh, the, the second scrimmage, that is, a week ago. Uh, but, but then we get to see Jordan Travis on Saturday, and to me, he was sharp. He wasn't amazing. He was given some really easy throws to make, but he made them. And I thought his reads were really clean. I think that was the most impressive part. He went to the right place with the football, didn't make any crazy throws. Even with his read option, uh, the, the touchdown run by Cam Akers, the first one, if it wasn't indeed a read option, I believe it was, he saw the, the defensive end stay, and he handed it off to Cam Akers. Cam breaks the tackle and scores. Like, that's stuff that didn't happen very much last season. So he at least shows that the physical tools, like he didn't have a lot of zip on the ball, but he had a nice throw to DJ downfield. He can mm-hmm. at least take the top off a of defense if needed. He has enough ingredients there to where you can create a game plan if James Blackman were to go down. That, that's what and, I took away if, from Jordan. if he's QB2 or QB3, you're comfortable with it. Well, yeah, and, and, and depending and on what a, happens with the waiver. It's a lot more so than it was 15 practices ago. I thought he was quick and decisive. Yeah. That, that's the biggest praise I can throw upon him. A lot of throws were a little high. DJ helped him out on a few of those, that, as did other receivers. That's really up when they're high, right? Is that that's kind of yeah? But sometimes guys just tend to high. throw high. You know, it's kind of like you know some guys that throw fastballs tend to throw real low in the zone, and when they lose control, they bounce them off the plate two feet short. You know, Jordan is capable. He looked far better than he did on day one of practice when he looked downright awful. Um, and yeah, you know, he handled it well. I wish we could have talked to him afterwards. I'd like to kind of get his thoughts on where he stands 15 practices into his FSU career. But I, as – go ahead. I was, I was gonna, real quick with that, uh, I do get the feeling that guys are still getting to learn Jordan Travis too. Uh, Kalen LeVorn actually said that. He's like, you know, we're still – really hang out a lot. We're still going to learn yeah. each other. And when Cam Akers was asked about him, he answered his name in, in full. Uh, Jordan Travis was the response. So um, 
I do think that that's still an interesting aspect because he's only been on campus for a couple months and uh, hasn't quite developed a rhyme and rhythm with some of those guys. That's going to take a little bit of time, and I think that's interesting to see what happens over the off season with the seven on sevens, and and if that's something that helps out with him to gain confidence. That's just a variable to to focus on. Uh, What? Yeah, James Black. What were your thoughts on him, Chris? Still want to see a little more quick decisiveness out of him. There were times where I thought he hesitated a bit or held it a little bit longer than he probably should have. Agreed. The, the ability to go vertical is fantastic from him. We knew that. That's not a new development, but I feel like he did that even better on Saturday than he did in the prior times we have seen him throw the ball down the field before this spring. I thought he made one throw to the right side over a linebacker underneath the safety, just laid it right in there. I forget Going who caught it. Going to his right, um, our left yeah. in the press box, yeah. yes. Excellent throw. I thought his best throw today. He made a couple of those types of throws that were – more developed big boy throws mm-hmm. that James Blackman freshman season didn't make. We, we had heard later on in the spring that James was starting to show better anticipation with making his throws, was now understanding, okay, this is where I'm going with the ball before it even opens up. And that's something that maybe he wasn't doing his first two years on campus. Um, I think we saw that a little bit, like the touchdown throw to Warren Thompson. I know Isaiah Bolden falls down, so it looks like a, a blown play and it's easy. But James saw that that Warren had the inside pattern or had an inside leverage on the pattern there against Isaiah Bolden and let it rip before Bolden threw. But Bolden got all tripped up. Uh, but that was largely because Warren ran a good route and, and and James Blackman saw it and delivered it. And I think it would have been a big play if not a touchdown, even if the defensive back doesn't fall down. I think one thing that hinders James to some degree is because he is so good vertically, he hesitates with the underneath the shorter stuff. As compared to Jordan Travis, who that's his money. That's where he can do the best work, middle of the field, underneath 10 to 15 at the longest. So he's a little more quick with stuff. I think with James, he does like the development of a play, the potential of a deeper threat. He's got to get a little more comfortable with taking that underneath stuff, with being quick with that stuff. That's what makes a great quarterback, the guy that can throw to all three levels and do it quickly and read it quickly and react quickly. And with James, I think that's coming. I think he's better at it than he was before the spring started and definitely better than he was as a freshman. But it's still an area where he has to continue to improve. And I thought even throughout the game he got better at that because initially you could see him kind of hesitate and was trying to digest what was going on and and trying to think, do I take the the check down or do I air it out? Um, By the end of the first half, I thought he was a lot more decisive in doing so. I also liked Chris that that he ad-libbed a little bit. The results weren't always great when he did it. Um, There was a one in... I'm trying to think, there was one towards the end of the half. It was the goal line stand when Jalil McCray had the, the tackle in the backfield. But the play right before, if I'm not mistaken, uh, James rolls out. And it's like an RPO look. And, and Trey McKitty was his, his check down guy or his, his pass option. And he throws it to Trey. Trey gets hit right before the, the goal line and doesn't catch it. Uh, but it was good to see a quarterback. And this is a little bit of shade to see a quarterback actually improvise a little bit and try to do something outside the pocket. I thought both quarterbacks handled the pocket pressure well, sure. at knowing when to move, where to move, where to go. Well, you can't do it really fully live there because you can't get lit up like a Christmas tree. You know, they still had an idea of, I need to go here, I need to go there. DeMarcus and Christmas they tree. did that. Sorry, I so I, I thought they were that. effective with that. The other thing I'll point out with James, he averaged, I believe it was like 17.5 per completion, 18. over 11 per attempt. That, that's a real nice number. They're yeah. both very nice numbers. And some of that was, you know, an 80-yard touchdown where a guy slipped and stuff like that. But in general, he showed the ability to have some of that haymaker ability for the offense. I feel like we've already kind of talked about the running backs. Yeah, LeBorn looked 
One thing with LeBron, because we talked about the hip where he came out real quick, and I asked him after he was feeling. He said it was just a cramp. And I saw him on Sunday morning when I was at the facility waiting for the kids bench? to leave. Yeah, I was actually sitting in a golf cart, but he uh, he was still limping pretty good. I told him he gave us a nice scare, and he said I, he was a bit tad bit scared himself. He uh, said he never really had dealt with that before. He's never had a cramp in his hip. Mm-hmm. So he said it was kind of odd. Him and Levante were both there for treatment. But as much as him going down was scary, his reaction, and he went into the injury tent, but he seemed kind of freaked out too. And part of me just wonders when you have an injury, leg injury like that before, you just automatically That's where you go in your mind. Yeah. The minute something happens, exactly. you just think the worst. Uh, but he comes back in the game and... He did. You mentioned Chris. He showed really nice patience. He yep. did. Uh, he still has that hop and that ability to to cut and go and and, and bounce around in the hole, which is very very unique. Uh, he said he's going to take the or tr- he's working to get that knee brace off. It's a big clunky one. Yeah. He said that kind of has limited his uh, I guess his threshold, like his top speed. His goal is to not play with it this season. I guess we'll see how that. He looks like goes. he's running. His legs don't look like they're in sync with one another. Correct. And one leg looks like he's trying to move really fast, while the other one's trying to figure it out with the knee brace on. He averaged four point six per touch. He had fifty five on twelve touches, negative six total on those twelve touches. That's a good number. You can live with that on a day. Cam comparatively, Cam Akers, same team, eleven touches for thirty two, thirty four positive, negative two. He did have the two touchdowns. His longest was 11. He averaged 2.9 per touch. His good runs, and the numbers aren't great, but his good runs I thought were really good. The touchdown run. Talking about Cam? Yeah, Cam. Yeah, sorry. Cam Akers' touchdown. Yeah, this would have been a good sound clip to have, and I butchered it. Um, He was good when his good runs were indeed nice. I thought he ran decisively. He ran with a little bit of power. The speed you have referenced multiple times in the loss, being a little bit thinner, Chris, that you mentioned throughout the spring, I thought that showed up when he actually had burst. My favorite run of his was right before the touchdown. Uh, he gets hit in the backfield, spins out of a tackle, and turns like a three-yard loss into a one-yard gain. I mean, that's just little stuff that's going to go a long way in the regular season because, as you've referenced, there's going to be times where the offensive line is still going to look like FSU's offensive line of 2018. It may not be as common. There's going to be times where plays get blown up. Uh, if you can keep it to second and nine instead of second and 13, like that – that will make a difference. So I thought that was nice that he, I thought, ran a little bit more decisively, and that's been a common theme for him throughout the spring. And this is backtracking to when we were talking big picture with the offense. They went down, I believe it was second and 20 at one point, and they actually converted for a first down after two consecutive plays. Last year's team so very rarely ever dug out of a hole behind the chains. I thought that was very impressive. I forget the exact moment of the game. But I know there was a penalty that went. They went from first and ten to second and twenty. They were able to convert over the next two plays for a first down, and then they, I believe, scored on that drive and then put the whole drive together. Mm-hmm. And I just, to me, that was one of those moments for the offense where it's like that is a definitive sign of growth. One that they didn't just go in the tank when something bad happens, which was such a norm for them last year. And hey, oh, real quick with James Blackman on that too, because I know that's the storyline that we focused on. Two incompletions in a row at the most, and that only yeah. happened twice, correct? Yeah, he never he never had that ripple effect where, you know, oh, he'd hit seven in a row, but he'd also miss five or uh, six uh, in a row. Although the Jaleel McRae, uh two dropped interceptions in a row, one led to a big play, did help that stat line right. a little bit. I think that's what you're going to see with James is you're still going to see moments where he makes some really cool but you can really nitpick on passes downfield. But you can nitpick on any quarterback on the sure. day. There, there was one where Jordan Travis drew through one. Uh, kind of off the shoulder, and it was a little bit too far off the shoulder. And truthfully, I forget who it was, but somebody was crashing down. Might have been Akeem, 
and he he almost picked it. And if he picks it, it's probably Ray, pick six. And I think Raymond Woody had one where he went through his hands too at the end. Um, but but that, that's to be expected sure. with quarterbacks in the spring. You don't you don't expect their peak sharpness. No, it was just, it was I guess more to the point of what we with with James and not getting himself into trouble. It was two bad passes, two nearly intercepted passes in a row. And I think that was the thing. It was like oh, okay, all right, all right, easy. But he you know he got out of it and was fine. Um, anyway, he did tailspin. Correct. Um, okay. Talk about running backs. Anthony Grant was was fine. Uh, had a couple nice runs. Deontay Shelfield had a couple decent runs. Just doesn't have that top speed that you're going to see him regularly. But but certainly for for a walk on, that's a valuable guy to have. The receiving game. Let's start with the perimeter blocking. You referenced it earlier, Chris. That to me was maybe the biggest difference I saw on Saturday compared to last year was the consistency with the perimeter blocking. Well, they also lined up right. I mean, that's, <laughs> that that's a, a large area of growth. Sure. There, there was a lot of times last year where right before the snap, you see a receiver pointing to another receiver of you need to be mm-hmm. in or out or on or off. And, and that's something that, that was not as prevalent, thank God. A little bit in practice uh, leading up to the spring game. But again, until the bullets are flying and it's a live setting, you're not sure. But they looked much better and cohesive coming in and out of substitutions, changing formations. That looked better. Uh, so then the, the ball is snapped and the perimeter blocking, and that's going to be a big part of this this offense, and that was something, especially like early on in the year, man, it was terrible last year. Remember against Virginia Tech? They were they were awful at perimeter blocking. Uh, and I saw someone tweet this the other day. I don't remember who, so I apologize. But uh, it was it was profound, I thought. Maybe not as much as a tweet can be. And that was that, that if you want to see – if you want to measure a program, perimeter blocking is one of the best ways to do so because it shows – A matter of want to. Yeah, at a position where that's normally not the necessity. Yeah. Uh, I think so it shows a deeper level of that. Uh, the fact that you saw guys doing that more consistently, and it wasn't perfect, and there were some times where guys took a playoff, uh, but it was much better, much more consistent. They weren't throwing the lookout blocks. Correct. You know what a lookout block is? Yes. Okay, just um, make sure. Yeah. Um, I think there was one play where I think DJ didn't go all out, and it was towards the end of the game. That, that was it. That was the only one I saw. That was like, oh man, you got to at least try to throw, throw something. If it's your like slot getting in trouble, though, you can live with it a little bit more, more than your truly on the out. edge, because your slots need the blocking more than the slot. Is usually going to be. I think our block. listeners are now, enjoying five minutes on perimeter blocking. <laughs> don't get me wrong; you need your slots to be good with the system you're trying to run with blocking. But you need bigger guys to block better before you worry about the smaller guys blocking better. Uh, it's kind of, of a trickle down. Speaking of slots, uh, FSU was slotty as hell on uh, on Saturday. Yeah, them, them, them slots are them slots are pretty hot. <laughs> uh, they were both really good. They were on separate teams. I think we noticed that. I mean, that was like the first day or two of, of spring practice. We're like, oh, yeah, that's going to be their bread and butter this year. It's gonna, uh, along with Tamarian Terry uh, scoring a 80-yard you know, touchdown every game probably or something like that. It's going to be the slot guys. James Blackman has amazing rapport with DJ Matthews. That's clear anytime you watch those two. They're roommates. They're buddies. Uh, but Keyshawn Helton was someone that was really impressive to me the first day of spring, and apparently he carried it through all the way. Just really steady, growing as a route runner. Again, eight eight targets, eight receptions, one hundred fifty something yards, like one fifty seven. One fifty with a long seventy two that he almost scored on. That's one that he got Just tripped up at the goal line. Um, that's going to be a strength for this offense this year, and that's a good thing too because that means more higher percentage throws to those guys. And engaged DJ Matthews is arguably the most beautiful thing coming out of the spring. Like if I had to pick one thing that is a man, that's great that that's happened. DJ Matthews one is happy. Mm-hmm. which he was not last year. No. Two, he loves his quarterback. Him and Jay Black are boys. 
And you know, I'm not Probably gonna di- I'm not gonna dive back into the old swimming pool of number twelve, but I don't think DJ was exactly a big fan. But DJ Matthews, you know, ten for one twenty two, thirteen targets. He also had the sixteen yard run. He's a guy we know is capable of being used as a passer too, and kind of a surprise offensive attacker. Uh, you know, mixing it up type of deal. Just excellent, excellent day. He went up and got some balls, helping Jordan Travis out at times. The balls that were put on the spot by Jordan Travis, he made yards after the catch. He's just a kind of dynamic offensive weapon that can make you very, very scary, very quick. He can light up the scoreboard. He can do things at a quick pace. If that perimeter blocking is there for DJ Matthews, he'll do something with it. And, you know, he spoke at length after the game. I'm going to write about it. A couple people already have on the beat. But he, he just – Yeah, but you, a, you asked those, those questions. That I, I took that deep dive with him. I've known mm-hmm. DJ a long time. It kind of like helps. The old Sweetwater legend. He uh, He's happier. Trey Hackett played a huge role in helping him kind of break through from a maturity standpoint. Trey Hackett for the people that he's a support staff know. member for Willie. He's been with Willie, I believe, at several stops. He's one of those guys that's always at the facility, always around the players. He'll kind of tell them when they need to hear something, even if they don't want to hear it. And DJ referenced that, that they used to bang heads a lot. But now, you know, a lot of that, he, DJ understands those guys are in his corner. So DJ's in a much better headspace, and that's a very good thing for FSU and a very good thing for this offense. One, a little glimpse behind the, the curtain and how that DJ's talked about it a little bit more, I feel more comfortable talking about it. Um, we've referenced many times on this podcast and on the message board of, of having to change culture and get certain guys out of the program, and, and we've talked about that. Being DJ good. teetered as one of those guys who may have needed to be pushed out because yeah. the attitude was poor. I think if he had left But the talent is so good, and he's capable of yeah. not being a negative Nelly, which I think he's shown now in the spring, mm-hmm. that it's a breakthrough. I, I agree. Yeah, People it, can change. There were other guys who are now gone, DeAndre Francois, Nyquan Murray, uh, Saquandre White, who, who didn't have great influences overall. That doesn't mean they were all bad. It uh, just means that they weren't helping the, the net result of what they were looking for. stuck in their ways. DJ Matthews was considered on the on the brink of that group. Uh, the fact that he has shown growth, like Chris said, and then we have to see if he sustains it and what happens in this regular season when things go poorly because we heard good things about Nooney and DeAndre turning the corner in the offseason too. Uh, but when, when that growth is meshed with actual production – on the field, like we saw in the spring game, that's when you can start saying, "Okay, there's some sustain- excuse me, some sustainability to that." And when we walked out of facility after the spring game, when me and Sinone had put a bow on it for the evening, we uh, ran into somebody from the FSU staff who is very familiar with the team around it all the time, has good insight on the young men that make up the roster. And I asked him, you know, I kind of explained the post game with DJ and Willie praising him, and DJ talking about trying to mature and be a better person and better player and more committed to his team and more committed to his craft. I go, is it legit? Like, is this something that I should write about? Because is it true? Or are we just spinning a storyline because of one good day? Mm -hmm. He's like, no, he's come a long way. He's made massive improvement. And I forget exactly how he phrased, but he essentially said a lot of these kids come in as 18 year olds, been spoon fed, you know, everything's been handed to them. They don't handle adversity. And sometimes their attitude, the worst parts of their attitude permeate out and show themselves. And then, they either you know pivot and mature, or they pivot and they end up in Iowa. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so in DJ's case, I think he's pivoted and matured, and I think that's a very good thing for him, obviously. But I think it's a great thing for the FSU football team. Yeah, they need playmakers. Speaking of playmakers, Scary Terry uh, has a 
didn't have a huge day, but he had a couple plays that made you remember, like, that guy's really good. A couple drops, too, that he was kind of after the game, like, I need to make those, and I agree. I mean, that's the next start, the next step in his evolution, Chris, is you got to make the plays consistent. You can't have the drops and the lapses that you had last year because his, his A game is as good as anyone else's in the country. You're not going to find a better combination of speed and strength and length than Tamarian Terry, but you can't have the mental lapses where you drop and kill drives. Still need to see that for him, but we're great on a curve. He's still obviously a really, really good asset for this Yeah, team. I think if they gave the Heinzman, which is the old spring MVP they used to do at FSU, I think it would have been Terry. For oh, the really? Spring. Was that? It was... I think from what I understand from beginning to end of spring, you know, he, Keyshawn Hilton, uh, trying to think of anybody else, I would, uh, Sante Samuel. Those are three guys that I, I never heard, and Marvin Wilson, I guess, would be lumped in that too. Four guys that I never heard a negative thing about throughout the whole spring. That they, they were being good leaders. They were buying in entirely. They were committed to being better football players. They had put in the work to prepare themselves for being a better football player from a conditioning and a workout standpoint. That they, that they were bringing it. It was just there. They, they were the kind of guy you know you can rely on when you go to battle. And I think, you know, if you're giving it to an offensive guy, I think it would be Terry or Helton. But... Terry is the guy who, if they're going to be a great vertical passing team, those slots are going to help open up a lot of things. But when Terry's got that one-on-one on the outside, he's got to win it, and he wins it a lot currently. And as Sinone referenced here a moment ago, he has to do it every single time. That That's what the breakthrough for Terry is, to go from being the best receiver on his team to one of the best receivers in the country. And I think one thing else that was encouraging, then we'll go to some of the other receivers, but Terry spoke to us after. And that guy typically doesn't like talking to the media, was comfortable doing so, basically saying I need to get better, uh, showed a little bit of personality. Like I think that's good because it's been a long burn to get him confidence. The fact he's yeah. showing confidence, I think is, again, I think that's a good little step forward. A year ago at this time, we were always hearing about how good Terry was, but that we had to rep it over and over and over and over with him just to drive it home and have it absorb and have it become part of his you know, internal clockwork. And you're not hearing that now. You're hearing that he is taking to things better, that the attention is better. It's not that he wasn't attentive. It's that he's learned how to be better at doing his job. Um, And self-evaluating, as he did after the game, is a perfect example of a guy that's turned that corner and figured that out for himself. He doesn't have to be told over and over and over by the adults in the room. Agreed. That's that's a sign of an, that, that's a good sign going forward. Um, speaking of, of good signs, uh, some of the younger guys showed – Glimpses. Your Warren Thompson has a long touchdown. He can scat. <laughs> Jordan Young, I thought of the the group who didn't play a ton last year or at all. I thought he looked good with the ball in his hands and, and was able to to be comfortable running after the catch. He had about three receptions, I think. But what? Jordan had four for was? sixty-seven Ooh. with a touchdown, and thirty-two was his long. Uh, and the touchdown was targeted tight. four times, uh, so he caught all four out. He was thrown out. Yeah, and he made one downfield, took some short gains, and made him or short catches, made him long gains. So that was encouraging. Uh, Trayshawn Harrison, we didn't see a ton out of. I think he had the one catch before uh, before halftime, and, and that may have been one of the only big ones on the day for him, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, tight ends, Cam McDonald looks – he had the fumble. Would have liked to not seen that, but he responded then to the, at the end of the day with a touchdown. I think he's a really nice fit for what they want to do in this offense. Looks comfortable 100% he was last year. I still think in Brow's system he will be. But there's no doubt in my mind that when Willie Taggart thinks tight end, he thinks Cam McDonald. I, I agree. That's They want the vertical presence, and you certainly see the fluidity, the athleticism. He's as much a wide receiver as he is a tight end. Uh, I thought it was encouraging to see Trey McKitty throwing some lead blocks out there, if they're going to use him as more of the, 
a, a blocking presence at times. Uh, he seemed to, to hold his own there. Uh, so yeah, that, that's, that's an area he has to improve yeah, upon, I thought he was and he the has improved too, upon. And that's that's good. Now the next step is to go from getting in someone's way to getting someone out of the way. But yeah, for again, for Trey and McKitty to truly have a role on this team, because you got to remember Trey was recruited by three offensive staffs ago, mm-hmm. so he was recruited for a very different type of offense. He needs to be that blocking tight end who will help clear space. But when his number is called in the passing game, he's also capable of doing it. And supposedly they're going to try to package those guys in some, him and Cam McDonald in different ways. For Trey McKitty, the key is to make himself valuable where it doesn't have to be a package. It can be at any given time when they're running the offense, he fits what they're trying to accomplish. And we're not, I I don't think either of us are trying to knock Trey. Trey's very highly thought of. I mean, I think he was a captain for the spring game that speaks to what the team thinks of him. Trey's a great dude off the field too. I think it's just a matter of, kind of him reformatting the skill set to fit more what the team is asking for than what he was recruited to be, which isn't his fault. It's just a matter of circumstances. Yeah, this is, like you said, three offensive coordinators. More than that, technically, because Randy Sanders, and he played at the end, Randy Sanders, uh, so four in, in the last three years. So, And he's someone who is kind of that Swiss pocket army knife and is developing into a guy who could do a lot of different things but you want to kind of figure out a, a clear path and identity for him but ultimately I think his versatility is what could make him a really nice fit in this offense and and Gabe Neighbors too is someone else that kind of has that similar can do a lot of different things but he didn't play uh dealing with I believe some some sort of leg injury right now so uh offensive line all right here's what I think I thought that there were some individual performances that are encouraging uh, Chris reference. Well, uh, first I'll start Brady Scott. I like him. I think he's going to be a fine player, if not a starter for them this year, at least a really good, capable backup who can play a couple different positions. He mm-hmm. he looked good. Mentally, Brady Scott handles yeah. that position better than about anybody in the sense of you're going to get your backside beat once in a blue moon. How do you bounce back from it? I think Brady does a very good job of staying even killed with success and failure. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he's shown like they had him pull a couple times. He looked comfortable doing that. Uh, sealed off one nice block. Uh, missed another, but it wasn't one that was detrimental to the play and basically forced the defender to go further into the backfield, which is what he wants to accomplish. I, I thought Brady looked fine out there. Uh, the snaps weren't amazing, but they weren't a problem for Bavion Johnson. The, the next step for him... And Chris, I know you're you're chomping up a bit to talk about snapping, but the next well, he talked about it after the game. Okay, I'll go, go for it. I thought he looked I thought he looked fine. He got blown back a little bit too much for my liking, but he yeah. also uh, if he can be average for you, then you're you're taking it and going with that and feeling okay going into the season. He's made strides with his snapping. I think he understands he has to continue to improve in that regard. I'm not sure how much he truly is capable of improving. The main thing there is one: the snaps have to get quicker, more efficient shot into the hands a little better. There's too many times where they're a little loafing or it feels like they come off, you know, not like they're in a tight spin where it's a clean catch for the quarterback and you're immediately into play. The quarterback has to do a little work to handle, process the snap. That That's sort of an issue. Now, the snaps weren't so bad that they were flying over people's heads right. and causing turnovers. Yeah, you'd rather be that, a little left or positive. right than right. high or low. Um, Bavion, uh, talking of guys that are in better head spaces than a year ago, Bavion certainly is. I agree. Um, he, Babyon's very self-aware, very critical of himself, and a kid that likes to work hard. He wants to be a good football player. He's fully committed to trying to be the best center he can be. So he's definitely working at it. He's aware he needs to be better at it. So I'm not going to pile on because at least he knows that there's an issue that has to improve there. He's gotten better. 
I wish he could snap like Andrew Baselli. Truthfully, I think Andrew Baselli's head and shoulders is the best snapper on a whole football team. He's just not physically the guy that's the best for that position. No, it's certainly after not playing football for a while. It'll be interesting to see if he can I – mean, even when he was at Florida State, he wasn't the biggest guy. He doesn't carry the weight particularly well. But if he can get a little bit back to to before he left football shape, yeah. I think that would be a positive development for Florida State. Because he's so, good at snapping. So with the interior of the line, I thought... Look at where our, our, sorry, our, our mark here that we're judging is, how good are they at snapping? But baby steps and figures. Well, no, no, no. There's a lot of things. It's, yeah. For me, it's the interior. And snapping is so key to the interior. Because you got to get it off. you got to get into block. Can't think about one or the other. You just have to do it. And, you know, I think with Bavion, he's learning that on the fly. I think Clements has been a breath of fresh air for those guys, especially for a guy like Bavion. Seems that way. Um, I think he's simplified it, but in a positive way where it's, you know, you need to be better at this because we need you to be good at this. It's not you need to do these 50 things and you're not good at this. Mm -hmm. It's more baby steps. Um, More like baby steps. The interior line, we didn't see Cole Minshew because, of course, he was injured. Or Landon Um, Dickerson. Or Landon Dickerson, who could be edge or inside. So, you know, we saw a guy like Dante Lucas get a little more burn. I thought Dante did a real good job. Dante exhibited that strength and physicality that he has. With him, it's just more kind of getting into the college game and continuing to improve his conditioning as a whole. Um, and I think he, he was on the team that had the matchup against Corey Jordan and Marvin. Yeah, Wilson. he definitely won against those guys. Whoever so. the draft, I mean, whoever decided that the backup interior guards were going to go against Marvin and Corey, it was, um, it, was a, it was a good jamming role by whoever. And then the other team had Coop and True, so they had two fire hydrants in the middle yeah, with I, tons of strength. Yeah, I, I want to get to the defensive tackles, but let's keep talking about the offensive line. for On the interior, I can't really think of another guy that I want to praise or tear down. I think you, you spoke on Brady, we spoke on Baby. I thought Dante was good. Am I forgetting somebody? Christian Armstrong struggled. Uh, yeah. that, not a, I don't want to yeah, – not great. I didn't think Mike Arnold blew me away. Um, I'm dying for Mike Arnold to string together two good plays in a row. Yeah, that, that's like – for me, that's a Mike Arnold benchmark. We've seen really good Mike Arnold, and we've seen really bad Mike Arnold. We very rarely see two good plays in a row where he continues to pile them up. And I know there's some people that disagree with that. I certainly don't care. But he he just he's a guy that they believe can be good. It's clear two staffs now, two offensive line coaches, think he can be good mm-hmm. for them on the offensive line. I'm ready for it to happen. Like I need to see more from that guy, who's you know from that age perspective about as veteran as they get on that offensive line. At tackle, Chris said they still have tackle issues. I agree. Uh, Jawan Williams. Still just doesn't bring it. I don't think the bad was as bad as it was last year. Uh, there was one point where he got called for a holding penalty. Uh, but good on you, man. Get called for the holding penalty instead of letting your quarterback get... A man was going to die if he didn't yeah, hold there because he got beat. Hot. And, uh, <laughs> and that was... I, obviously, again, we're grading on such a <laughs> such a big curve here. We're talking about the line, line, but... That was growth of having some awareness and some football IQ they've talked about. It's like, all right, I got, I got my ass in the play. I'm going to make sure you don't hurt my quarterback. Not that he could have hit him anyway, but that was a good I like Jalen Goss, but I like 2020 Jalen Goss. I'm not sure I'm ready for 2019 Jalen Goss. I thought uh, I'd have to go back. There was a play where Chaz Neal gives up a sack, but it wasn't his fault. He protected Jordan Travis for about four seconds before the – and I was like, you know what? That was actually a really nice uh, step in a pass pro, and I was like, okay uh, – Chaz Neal may have been the biggest surprise in the spring. Is like that's a guy who's legitimately going to contribute at some point or another, more than likely. At, he, he's Randy. Cle- year, he's but. Randy Clement's Play-Doh. He's molding him into something, and it's actually not half bad. 
And it, yeah, it may actually be something. I don't know about but this year. But the issue is, I think for 2019, tackle is still a huge issue. Yeah, like I, I, agree. I think it's clear that uh, Ryan Roberts, the NIU transfer that they've already signed, as well as potentially another grad transfer, is still a massive need for them at that position. Which isn't a great place to be uh, with only a few months until until the season starts. But uh, it does help that the quarterbacks are actually you know capable of running run pass option and also understand where pressure comes from. So that will help alleviate some of those issues. That last year never seemed to get alleviated. Uh, that was something that didn't show up in the in the box score enough was DeAndre Francois' inability to understand pressure with with, with consistency. And, and the people that did support him, I thought, always skimmed over that aspect, which it, it took an it took a massive issue. He takes a beating back there. He Some does. of it is his own fault. <laughs> yeah, and Willie would say that he needs to step up in the pocket. He needs to see pre-play stuff. I mean, the the Miami game. And when that all unravels, is it's not his fault that someone comes flying. I think it was Shed, uh, Redwine, was Shedrick Redwine comes flying out. Uh, and is this a portion him. of the game where Gerald Willis was just having no, his this way? No, was, this was a little bit after. This is oh, okay. uh, when it started imploding. But uh, part of that was on DeAndre for They knew if that blitz was supposed to come, he was supposed to check out of the play. He didn't see it and gets destroyed, and then just stuff fell. But it, and, Thanks for bringing up those great yeah, memories, buddy. I appreciate I'll edit, that. I'll edit this whole, I'll edit this whole part out of the Clean living Chris might fall off the wagon again. <laughs> it's been around for, what, a week? Um, but, yeah, so that the offensive line, the tackles still have a lot of issues. I think getting better quarterback play or at least better quarterback awareness and and fitting into what Kendall Bryles wants is going to help that out. But it's still going to be bad, guys. It just can't be the worst in the country. I don't think it will be the worst in the country. You're probably looking at the bottom 75% title now is where yeah. it would be a good growth. And if you can get to average in, in two seasons from now, that's what you're looking for is incremental growth. I thought there was some encouraging signs from the offensive line, but it's still very much so a work in progress and an incomplete grade, largely because the guys who will have to contribute to be good next year weren't playing on, on Saturday. So... Do you the, want to move on to defense or anything? Well, the caveat to that conversation is the band-aids of grad transfers. Right. If they get two guys that are capable of helping sustain the ends, you get Landon and Cole healthy, Babyon improved slightly, that group can take a, a healthy step forward, in my opinion. Healthy, healthy now, being the option. Now, the issue there with plugging in the grad transfers and the guys that have been injured is how cohesive will they be? How long will it take for it to gel? Five I, fingers in a glove, all those things. I think it was Bill Conley from SB Nation did something, basically showing that, that one of the mo- more overrated narratives or stats in college football is the cohesiveness of the offensive line from year to year. Like, we assume if all five are back, it's going to be a great thing. It doesn't necessarily lead to production as much as we think. But I think it's important for a guy to understand that what the guys beside him think. Well, yeah. And how they operate. Yeah, I'm not so saying it's I, not I think it's, it's something about, I, I agree that experience doesn't solely make you better. Yeah. I'm a big believer in no, that. You want to have chemistry. There's a lot of people that think, oh, he, he's going from being a sophomore to junior. He's going to be so much better because he's going from being a sophomore to junior. He may just suck. You know, he may not get better. One of my favorite Jimbo These Fisher lines ever was, sometimes the good news, and this is about the offensive line, sometimes the good news is everyone's back. Sometimes the bad news is everyone's, everyone's back. back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll see with the offensive lines. There's still a lot of variables in judging that group. Uh, I did think it looked better in some aspects, at least more cohesive. So defensive line... Uh, Marvin Wilson, going to be really, really good. We agree. And consistent. Yeah. Uh, Corey Durden is going to be a nice complimentary defense alignment for him. Uh, Robert Cooper may end up being really, really good as well. I think Robert Cooper's already very, very good. Coops, I said really, Coops, really good, not very Coop's good. Coop's main thing is being able to stay out there. Yeah. Which he's working on. He said he's, I think, shed about 30 pounds or so. 
He looked thinner. I said I mean, Well, hell, <laughs> I don't know if Robert Cooper will ever look thin in no. his life. Was, That's, was, as one heavy set man to another, I don't know if Robert Cooper will ever look thin in his life. But he he looks like he's he was, shed I mean, some of that He was out there dancing in between plays, and he looked good. Yeah, um, and then Corey Dern reminded him that he still had to eat Vienna sausage because he lost. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had Vienna sausage. Um, You're missing out. Am I really? I don't know. Okay. Have you ever had Vienna sausage? If the options are steak or Vienna sausage, which is Christine going to eat? I do want to get this out there for there's kind of especially if two four seven's paying for it. My well, steak is definitely <laughs> which I've seen you run up a couple hundred dollar bill before when twenty four seven's paying. Uh, Hi the, Shannon. The, the steak and hot dog. Yeah, Pat's listening to this right now. I'm driving, <laughs> driving, driving. Uh, that next expense report is not getting approved, Mister Knee. <laughs> um. The steak and the steak and hot dog games. At least when I was in high school, the hot dogs were better than the steaks. They get cheap steak to, to feed everyone. And it's not the, the flat hot steak yeah, where you just keep really, stretching it out to make it look like it's for really, more people. Really gritty, and I'd rather have the hot dog at that at that point. But I also would assume FSU's probably paying for better meals than Dr. Phillips High School was. Maybe not. We'll see. Dr. Phillips was a little ritzy. So um, you ever jump the fence and go to Universal? Yeah, play hooky a little bit. Um, you can't really jump the fence. Have you seen the fence? Yeah. The universe? Yeah. yeah, it's not really how that works, Chris. It's about it's bigger than. I the mean, wall. you could try. <laughs> Anyways, let's let's take a let's use this as an opportunity to take a quick break, and we hear from our sponsors, and then we'll we'll get back to the the defensive side of the ball uh, to to finish up our spring recap. Introducing the Two Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, let's get back to the defense now as we finish up the podcast. Chris, start with the defensive line. Uh, one young guy who I thought showed out pretty well, uh, maybe not as much as some of the, the veterans, but a uh, young guy, True Thompson, made a couple nice plays, and I think he could be a, a nice part of this defensive line for Florida State. His spring was cut in half because he's still coming back from a shoulder issue. Yeah. Um, he's much better these days, obviously playing. He participated in the second scrimmage and then again on Saturday in the Garnet and Gold game. Garnet. Um, so that's a, yeah, that's definitely a positive with him. You Knowing true to some degree, he, he's the kind of dude you can rely upon. Mm-hmm. He's a smart kid. He's dedicated to the game. He has a weight room fanaticism to himself. Yeah, he's going to be fine. Um, there was one play early on in the game where it wasn't a stretch play, but the play was getting stretched. The run was getting stretched outside, and he uh, he rode with the guard all the way to the perimeter and basically forced the play outside to, to outside leverage and um, you know, allowed it to be a short game. But like it was really impressive for him to go about 15 yards downfield athletically, horizontally, uh, to, to help string out the play and make it. That's one thing we didn't know if that was a part of his game because he's supposed to be just an interior run stuff. We're like, no, he had a little bit of athleticism to him too. 
I think he could be the fourth guy for them because I wasn't honestly blown away with uh, Malcolm Lamar, Jamarcus Chapman. I'm trying to think of some of the other interior guys. They didn't really pop to me even rewatching the game. Malcolm Lamar is a weird case study. Like I, I had this conversation with somebody that's known Malcolm since he was a high school kid. He's got to figure out what he is and what he's going to be. Like, is he going to bulk up and just be a massive interior guy? Is he going to be more of like a 3-4 stand-up DN? Or not stand-up, I'm sorry, yeah. but more of a strong side DN and a 3-4 who can slide inside. What's he going to be? He, he's developed some, uh, like in the upper body and stuff, since he's gotten here, but he's still just sort of a... It's like... I can't look at him and go, oh, yeah. Like, with Dennis Briggs, you look at him, and you know what Dennis Briggs can be really good at. With Malcolm Lamar, I look at him, and I'm still just not sure. And, there, heck, there's people that think he'd be a really good offensive lineman. Sorry, I hit my microphone. I don't know how that's going to sound. Because of the build. Yeah. I, so. I, almost has to – it seems like his body's telling him it's going to be an offensive lineman, but that's obviously a, a transition mentally to make to be okay with that. But I, Plus, we're getting too far down the road for that to happen with him, true. where it makes sense for it to happen. That, that's true. Um we're getting ahead of ourselves. Defensive ends, Dennis Briggs had a couple nice moments. He's going to be good when they're toying with that 3-4 front, which it looks very much so like it's a hybrid defensive front that they're committing to at this point. Uh, he's a perfect fit for it because of what he can do yeah. as somewhat athletically on the edge, but more so the strength, uh, the awareness, uh, the effort, all things that were really good for him in high school have carried over to the college level. Uh, let's see. Joshua Kendall flashed at me a few times. I thought he showed nice burst and bend around the edge. Uh, not as dominant though as I would like against those offensive tackles, but you know you saw some from Kendo, saw a couple of nice plays from Janarius Robinson. Same thing though; those two guys I think need to do it more consistently. Time's running out for them to do it. Um, yeah. I, that I don't know how else to say it. Like it, they gotta start putting it together now. Part of the reason why I think we've seen that commitment to a hybrid defensive front is because they haven't necessarily jumped to the next level. And because Leonard Warner's probably best as a pass rusher. I'll let you go go for it. Yeah, Leonard Warner's probably best as a pass rusher. If you're like grading his skill set and what he brings most to the table, you could leave him as an inside guy because he's a big body, can fill a gap, can finish a play. But his truly his greatest value is as a pass rusher. And using him in the role they're using him in that three four front look where he's playing DN as a come down guy. He is very good at that. Josh Brown, that is more his natural position. That's along the lines of what Josh has done in his past. I think Thomas, he's certainly more capable of that. Thomas Thomas, too, was brought into yep. that. But yeah. All three of those guys were told at one point in the recruiting process they were going to play on the edge. Now, the concern with Thomas is how physical will he be when somebody gets their hands on him. Yeah. With Brown, he's more the ability to be physical because Josh just hasn't physically. He's not a guy that's blossomed into – a college monster. Yeah, Josh looks a lot like he did when he walked in the door outside of your basic college gains. Mm-hmm. With Leonard Warner, he is capable of being very physical. He is a guy that can help sustain you against the run, can rush the passer. He can be out there a lot. He can do a lot of things. I think that's why we've seen him move there. Xavier Peters is another guy obviously didn't play in the game because he was suspended, but his skill set lends itself to that role very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last year when he got on campus, the question was DN linebacker, moving him back and forth. Truthfully, the this is yes. the answer is now yes. This is the role he is truly made for. So they have three guys there I feel very good about uh, in order of Warner, Peters, if he can get himself in gear and do what he needs to, and then Josh Brown, who I think it benefits Josh in this role far more than any role he had preceding this at FSU. And Josh looked good on Saturday. I thought he had a couple of nice plays. That's what he played in high school was that edge, that edge defender. And it just and Amari's another guy down the road who could end up in that spot too. Yeah, Amari, Amari can play a few different play. spots yeah. defensively in the linebacker group. But Amari's a guy in high school who's very capable coming off the edge. If he 
continues to develop physically, he could move over there. But he can truthfully play anywhere in the linebacker group. He's got skinny legs, but I, I, if he bolts up, and I thought that's what he – I don't know why I said he has skinny legs. That was a weird thing to say. <laughs> it was. <laughs> and it said so definitively, and now I'm thinking back. It's like I remember thinking that, but I don't even when know. When I'm sitting in that bird's eye view, I'm not like, that man has tree trunks for legs or that <laughs> but, man has skinny legs. But I do remember thinking that watching his high school highlights, like, oh, he's really good off the edge because he could peel back into coverage yeah. but was also explosive turning the corner. It was quick. I don't want to see if he would bulk up into that coming to FSU, and he just hasn't. He's played in the Stars, so I think. But he was good Saturday. He had he 13 was. tackles, led all defenders in tackles in a spring game. That's a little bit just collecting numbers, but still, it means he was active, he was present, and he made plays. He was active. Still, a few more plays downfield than I would like that he was making tackles. But uh, there was a couple. There was one play where he did a really nice job. Uh, cutting off a, a Last year we would have been happy with guys getting tackled 20 yards on no, the field right. instead you're of right. you know running cleanly into end zone. He, so uh, he baby was, steps. He was active. Yes, exactly. Baby steps. Uh, but back to the defensive ends or the hybrid role, uh, the conversation that you and I had with, with one of the staffers after after the game was I asked him, I was like, man, I, I don't know what you guys are trying to accomplish up front. Like, it looks really <laughs> weird. And he was like, yeah, he's like, that's what we're hoping for. I, no, you said it looks confusing. He goes, well, we're hoping the other team's confused too. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they're going for is to try to you know, try to throw, uh, throw some teams off. But I thought Leonard Warner – uh, not only looked powerful outside Chris, but uh, a couple times where he was able to get like an outside inside uh, dupe move, uh, where his feet looked really quick. They like the way he bends. Uh, they, there's a reason why he played uh, as a sub package defender last year on, on passing downs. I don't think he was great at, at being a thumper inside. He never really materialized into that. Didn't look really instinctual as an inside linebacker. This kind of I think in theory allows his athleticism to shine and allow him just to be more reactionary. I'd agree with that. Um, can I now talk about the guy who I thought was the best player on the field on defense on Saturday? Jaleel McCray. Jaleel McCray. If Jaleel McCray's two knees treat him right, he's going to have an outstanding college career. He's an excellent, excellent football player. He's always around the ball. He makes tackles. He comes downhill. He's there in the middle. Something that FSU was abysmal at last year at linebacker was being able to be present in the middle of the field and have an impact. You know, he finished today 11 tackles, a half tackle for loss, a pass breakup that should have been a pick. Um, he had multiple picks, what, five during the spring, two in the last scrimmage, I think is what the numbers were. Yeah. Uh, Jaleel is a ball player. Jaleel is the kind of guy, if they keep recruiting those kind of guys and the would-bees of the world, they're, they're going to be fine. Uh, uh, when he – I was speechless like I am now when he – Deflected a pass, almost had an interception. What the hell is a linebacker doing 20 yards downfield making the hit, a play? The hit he had at the goal line where he ended the play, okay. shot in the middle and put somebody on their backside. It was excellent. Uh, he's really good moving laterally. Like He's really twitchy with his legs. He's very instinctual. I, I think the thing I liked about him the most coming out of high school was how comfortable he was in coverage. Like He, he just had a really good understanding of play-by-play play what was, was happening and, and knew how deep to drop and how to attack uh, a pass when it was thrown. And and that's shown very, very clearly uh, this spring. That's something he's really good at. Over, under, I'm going to sit at three and a half games, Chris, by the time he's starting the season. Oh, heck, I think he could start day one. So you're going to go – I said after the spring game, I thought he looked like a starter. Yep. If they're going with that true 3-4 look and they want, you know, second guy in the middle beside Dontavious who brings more to the table and a variety package mm-hmm. than Dontavious, he's the dude. Who who else are you rolling out there? Emmett Rice is healthy, but that's he didn't yeah. play in the spring game. And but Emmett's again another guy who may very likely end up in that end role as a I rusher. Don't think he's quite bulky enough for that. Yeah, I think but he's, he's very quick off the edge. That's true. Maybe I agree with you on the bulk that he definitely doesn't have the Leonard Warner thickness to him. 
But from a putting pressure on the pass or shooting off the edge, he's sort of somewhat that. Yeah, but I think you also need um, if you're if you are doing that look more frequently, uh, you need another stand up guy. DeKalen Brooks probably isn't great in, no. in traffic like that. That's not a strength. You need to get him out. And, and I'm not trying him. to hate on DeKalen, but he's he's a reserve linebacker you need. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's, he's a guy much better be being on your two deep than being the teams. guy you're relying upon. Uh, but anyways, I think. Julio McCray's emergence is part of the reason why they've been comfortable. For those that didn't know, Emmett Rice didn't play Saturday. He, yeah, he had he's, a hamstring, I think. Yeah, he's, and he's also had the hand issue, but he injured something else late in the spring. I think he actually missed second scrimmage and that. So, and this is coming off an ACL injury. It's been a fair amount of bad injury luck for But him. when he's healthy, they like him. He's a guy well, that his I mean, teammates talk about yeah. a good bit, and then coaches usually inject his name into he conversations. He looks like a college linebacker yeah. when he's healthy, and they don't have enough of those. He plays fast and physical. Yep. Uh, secondary, Chris, you said they left a lot of plays on the field. I agree. I'm going to start with the good news, though. I don't think a pass was completed on Asante Samuel the entire game, unless you want to count like that flat pass where he came and hit Cam Akers and, and helped blow it up. I don't think a completion was was thrown. I don't know. No, I don't even know if a pass that I can recall was thrown towards Asante Samuel. And, and if that is indeed the case, and if I'm wrong, don't correct me. Just let me think I'm right. Dream he, a little dream. He didn't dream he, a little dream. He didn't get. He was awesome this spring. Uh, yeah. that was that's something that remained from the beginning. Defensive Heinzman. Uh, yeah, he was really, really good, and I think we got to see why. He, he's sticky. He's aggressive. He's an alpha dog. Uh, he's going to be really good, guys. Yeah, and he he's never lacked in confidence, but he is one hundred percent full go confident on that football field. He 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 believes he is great on that football field. And you want corners who live on an island to be of that mindset. Mm-hmm. Good thing for FSU secondary is they know who their two corners are. You know, it's Stanford and Asante on the two sides. Yeah, Stanford was fine. I think he needs to be – I thought he was going to take the next step this spring into being that guy, and it seems like Asante's done it. But if Stanford's good in your number two corner – I mean, if Stanford's your number two corner, you're feeling great about yeah. where you're at. Kyle Myers will serve as a reserve type. Then yeah. – you know, that nickel roll, Levante got banged up, ankle injury, I believe it was. And he, he was in a boot on Sunday, not moving around real well. You know who had a good game? Cyrus Fagan. He did, yeah, which is good re-wa- to see. Rewatching Cy- it, it was Cyrus is a guy who we always talk about confidence in players. His confidence went down to tubes last year. He, he was frustrated. Too, he was cool. hurt. He was unhappy. He was a big reason when he kind of faltered that that whole secondary felt down last year because he he allowed other pieces to move around the chess table and for them to be better and when they lost him they lost the ability to do that that he could be the zeus free safety and then he couldn't and then stanford samuels had to play there and you're taking him away from cornerback and that's what he plays best and it was just kind of uh but but for a full circle effect because i thought he was confident you could tell him coming off the sideline he'd make a big hit and was happy a year ago it was early in the season uh, during the null drill, and he was already dealing with a shoulder injury. He went to go up against Anthony Grant and just got obliterated. The, the shoulder injury got re-aggravated. I don't know if he dislocated it. He looked in extreme pain. Well, he came up on Saturday and had a play where Anthony Grant was on the boundary and completed the tackle. It was a good, clean textbook tackle, got him down. Just a full circle of showing someone getting better in an aspect, aspect of their game. He was always supposed to be a decent coverage corner, but not a great run stopper. Uh, he looked stop, stopper, stopper, stuffer. Uh, he looked better in that aspect on Saturday, and I think that's encouraging because that's that's an extra dimension to your defense that if you can get him being average that that you didn't have last year. Keem Dent's a ball player. We he'll all know good. that. He'll be good. Um, obviously, it looks like safety's the plan going forward. 
You throw Woodby back in the mix. That's another one. You got Woody, who you add in there, too, who I think is depth, but capable of depth. I think Raymond Woody's one of those guys. I, I forget I forget who compared him, but he said A.J. Westbrook mentally. He, he's Nate and, Andrews. He's A.J. Westbrook. Yeah, with a he know, he knows exactly what they're trying to do, how they're trying to go about it. He can coach it up on the field. Um I think physically, athletically, he's also better than those two guys we just mentioned. Yeah, he's them, he's them with a so little bit more that, That's the praise with him. Yeah. I, I like the secondary. I wish they were a little more physical on Saturday. But, again, I think the defense was very vanilla. And to some degree, I think it was about giving the offense a good end of spring feeling. Well, and part of it too, Chris, again, Asante Samuel doesn't get attacked the entire game. Like, that's a win, right? That's, that's one piece of the puzzle figured out. Sanford Samuels want to see a little bit more from, but he doesn't get beat deep. Uh, he does a good job keeping everything in front of him. Gave a little bit too much cushion on some curl patterns going on to keep Gavin, if I recall. But fine, if that's if that's your boundary guy, you're you're feeling really good with that, with what he is. Uh, the safety positions are kind of the variables right now, but the one who's going to be starting for you next year wasn't playing, and that's yeah. Jaden Lars Woodby. Uh, so again, and, and the other guy who's supposed to be starting only played for a quarter, Levante Taylor, because he had yeah. the... He had a, a it looked like a leg injury. I think um, it was ankle or foot. He uh, he was wearing a boot Sunday when he came out of okay. facility after getting treatment, and he, he limped pretty hard. He actually left game, came back in, and then limped right back off. But, but you Stinks know, for him. of the big plays that occurred, if you look at the passing numbers, this is, again, where it's tough to judge a performance. Uh, a lot of James Blackmans came deep and typically over walk-on safety uh, or Isaiah Bolden falling down, but it wasn't against guys who were going to be big-time contributors. Uh, on the other side of that, a lot of Jordan Travis's uh, passing yards came over the middle of the defense, but against the linebackers, and those were against the backup linebackers, if I recall. One of them was a walk-on, and that's where he feasted. He wasn't throwing it over Jaleel McCray or Dontavious Jackson. Uh, we saw what happened when you tried to pick on, on Jaleel McCray over the middle of the defense. So so I guess some of the passing numbers were skewed a little bit based on where they, they came from. Are you concerned about the defense exiting in the spring? I'm concerned about the pass rush still. I don't think that was answered. I think they're at least showing, okay, we're going to adapt and try to find some solutions here to, to figure it out. But that was a question you and I had going into the spring is how do you replace Brian Burns uh, exiting it? I don't think we have a clear-cut definitive, this is how you replace him and feel good about it. Answer. Yeah, I, my general feel on the defense is they're not going to shut people down. They're going to give up yards. They're going to give up some points. The key for them is going to be making big plays. And that's what it was supposed to be last year, and they never made the big right. plays. At least at least on Saturday, they were in position to make the plays. They didn't make them. Uh, there was a lot of dropped, you know, there was dropped passes, but at least they were in position to. Again, we're grading on a curve of, of being better than... We're also, we also just had an hour-long podcast about a practice in the spring. <laughs> and the entire spring. <laughs> so, yeah. I think this was relatively informative. Thank God we made a decision to not integrate uh, recruiting coverage into this podcast, too, because we're at a, an hour and four minutes right now before editing it. We'll hit on recruiting later this week. Um, Josh and Zach did a healthy amount of that workload on Saturday, getting most of the guys when they were departing the facility. I'm going to work on following up with some of the guys they were unable to get. So we're hoping to kind of put a bow on that by end of Wednesday, do a potty to Wednesday or Thursday regarding recruiting. So we'll have more of that later in the week. And then also we'll do some recapping of the spring in, in written form and a little bit more uh, in-depth in some areas too in the next uh, in the next couple days here. Then probably going to take it easy for like a week or so, right? No? I will. I won't. I no, never take it easy. No, that's true. Uh, real quick, we had asked you guys on the last podcast to come up with ideas for, for maybe the name of a new podcast. Uh, not that we're necessarily going to make a change, but if there's one that we love, 
Here's some ones that I liked, Chris, that I just want to throw out there, all right? Uh, the Honey Fried Podcast, kind of. This is an audio medium, so I need you to do more than just shake your head <laughs> or not. Uh, Chop It Up Podcast. But wasn't there previously one called Chop It Up? I don't know. That's, that's another I feel sh- like that was the old Sentinel entity. No, I, the Sentinel entity that the I did block? was the Chopping Block. Chopping okay. Block talk. Sorry. So I don't know if it still exists, so maybe I could steal it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, although now that I admitted it, probably not. Uh, podcast Don't Care Who Makes It. If Jimbo were still here, that would have been a good one. Uh, Thank God he's not. Yeah, that's true. Know Your Roll was the one I had, but people didn't like that. What do you think of Know Your Roll podcast? I'm okay. I like. I think somebody threw out Knowology. I kind of like that one. Ooh, okay. Um, and More Chant. My favorite one was More <laughs> Chant, <laughs> which I don't think we'll do, but that was my favorite one. Uh, and then the one I really like is On the Bench. On the, po- on the Bench podcast by Knowles 24-7 or Knowles 24-7's On the Bench podcast because to me, Chris, you live your entire life on that freaking bench. And I think it... it it's it's symbolic of the amount of effort and work we as an entire staff put into covering the team. You specifically because you're on the bench, but sometimes I'm on the bench. Sometimes Josh is on the bench, but we're always around. We're always covering the team. I think we're one of the few publications that invest that much time and energy consistently to covering this program. And people know you as the guy who's always on the bench. So That's I, true. Uh, Jordan Takeoff apparently walked up looking for me literally on the bench. And you were on the bench and you got your picture taken too with him. Yep. Oh, my favorite part of, of Saturday was I had to, uh, well, I didn't have to. I was asked if I could bring lunch because the recruiting guys were already there. We were landlocked because of parking situation and it filled up so bad. Most of us parked behind the left field wall of the baseball stadium and at that point, if we left, we weren't getting back there. So I was getting there. You know, a Plus, it's that after it's that. that slow trickle of kids, so you don't want to leave because man, I'm going to miss the next big one. So I, I I was asked to bring in Jimmy Johns, which I could have totally just ordered Jimmy Johns. Those reball those reball kids wanted me to take their picture <laughs> and, so, and not let me eat lunch. <laughs> and so Chris, of course, orders the gargantuan because why wouldn't he order the gargantuan? And I give it to him, and he's there just demolishing this sub <laughs> like lettuce and tomato are falling over the floor. And these two kids from from Jacksonville reball 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 Gene uh, reball. They asked Josh, uh, you know, to us for someone to update their recruiting profile. And of course, Josh doesn't want to do that, so he points over to Chris. He's like, he'll take care well, of it. Well, he said I'm the Jacksonville guy, which is true. Jacksonville's the old neighborhood for me. But so Josh could just I, updated the profile. Yeah, but if come you on. Wanted, but he sent it over to you. These kids we, were. We can only ask so much from Newberg. Newberg did very well this weekend. Let's Josh not. Josh brought his A game. He did even while wearing the weird band. I don't know who watered the flowers while he's gone, but man, <laughs> he brought it. Uh, but those poor kids come over to you timidly as you're devouring the sandwich and not sure when to interrupt you and you did not stop taking a bite even as they asked you to update your pro i did after they finally asked me i took one more bite and then told them let me put this away i haven't eaten all day so now they they were fine yeah it's funny though i get to know a lot of kids through seven on in camps and stuff so you get a certain ease with some kids but like the first time i meet a lot of kids it's so funny how Kids can be so kind of, not obnoxious, but, you know, vocal on a football field, but so timid off of it. And it's true for a lot of football kids. I would have been scared. I was scared of you watching you eat that sandwich. I didn't want to put my fingers anywhere around you. I'm a fat man who was hungry. These things happen. So if I I I've been up for seven solid hours and hadn't eaten in like 22. Do you know how long that was? (laughs) (laughs) I like the idea of on the bench in some form or... Or fashion, but if anyone else has any more ideas, we're still taking them. On the bench right now, I think, is the favorite. We just have to figure out how to integrate that into Knowles 24-7, so we have some branding still. Are we and just going to record from the bench going forward, if that's the case? Too noisy, but that would probably be an episode. I've been trying to get you to write columns from the bench for a while, and you refuse to, so this is the closest Mainly because you're asking me to. Yeah, but I have to use reverse psychology. Yeah. 
Anyways, for the Knowles 24-7 podcast at this time, this is this is Brendan Sinone. <laughs> Guys, thanks for listening for an hour. If you didn't listen to an hour of, of spring football recap, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> Bye.